The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sectors. FDF podcast, passionate about food and drink. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FDF podcast. Today, we'll be discussing sustainable soya. My name's Emma, and I'm the Senior Sustainability and Environmental Policy Executive at the FDF. Sustainable soya is a relatively new area for me, but given the growing media and political attention over the past couple of years, particularly where soya has been sourced from the Amazon, uh, my interest has peaked and I'm developing a much greater understanding. This has also come hand in hand with the much, much more member queries as they approach by their own customers. Unlike palm oil, which is used as an ingredient in food and drink products, we often think about soya as an embedded commodity. It is more commonly used in animal feed, which can create a disconnect uh, where many people do not think about the food that our food eats. I've enjoyed learning more about this commodity and the challenges that are associated with sourcing it sustainably. And I hope that today's podcast will prove a useful summary. Today, I'm also joined by Jonathan Gorman, a technical director at Ethica, who also helped lead the development of the UK Sustainable Soya Initiative. Um, thank you very much for the invitation to talk. Yep, my name is Jonathan Gorman, um, technical director at Ethica, a small consultancy that um, helps government um, and companies uh, to think about and act on uh, a range of what we call forest risk commodities, including soy and palm and others. Um, and as you said, um, helped uh, to support the development of the UK Sustainable Soy Initiative. And could you tell us a little bit about what is soy and why should companies in the UK be exploring their soy supply chains? Sure. Um, soybeans are, are a globally traded commodity. You can find them in lots of different um, products from, from kind of whole soybeans, edamame in a, in a salad to tofu to to soya milk, yogurt, but as you said in your introduction, Emma, um, the bulk of soy imported and consumed in the UK is actually as an ingredient in animal feed. So for meat and dairy products, um, particularly poultry and pigs who are big users, um, but also farm seafood, egg production and others. So it's uh, it's in that kind of um, form that, that most of the soy is consumed in the UK. Why? Because it's a great source of, of high quality protein and it's really important for animal diets um, but as you said most of that soy is, is what we call embedded so in the chicken for example it doesn't mean that it's in the chicken itself it means it's used um, as part of the, the feed for that for that uh, for that chicken to, to produce the chicken itself so you may not see it as a consumer you may not see it as a company um, you may not realize it's within uh, your supply chain um, in terms of the question of why should companies explore um, soy, most soy comes into the UK, comes from either North or South America, small volumes from, from Europe. Um, and cultivation of that soy, particularly in South America, has in the past um, and to a certain extent now still uh, drives deforestation and conversion of land. Um, that has declined over years, but it's still a risk. So companies really need to understand how the products they're manufacturing or selling or the soy that they're, they're trading could be linked to these soy supply chains and potentially linked to, to the risk of deforestation. And I guess for a number of key reasons, 
One, because it's increasingly important for customers who want to know where their food comes from. That might be a business customer, that might be the final um, consumer. Um, and for FDF members, that might be the people they manufacture, uh, the, 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 the manufacture of their products for, it might be the final consumer. Because it's important also as companies increasingly commit to net zero. Um, and again, I know that's something that FDF members have been making great strides on. So in order to do that, you need to understand how much of those emissions might be related um, to supply chain emissions. And that's where um, soy, palm and other commodities are potentially tucked away that you may not see, but they are going to be an important part. We call them scope three emissions of tackling and meeting net zero commitments. In fact, it's pretty clear that in, to achieve a net zero or carbon uh, commitment, um, if you handle soy or palm or other commodities, you're going to need to ensure that the production of those is sustainable if you want to achieve your net zero carbon commitment. And I guess finally, it's really in, important too for the longer term. Um, you know, the challenges that we see today uh, that supply chains are facing um, is evident that we need and businesses need secure and resilient supply chains for their ingredients for the future. And unsustainably produced soy or palm by its very nature is, is the opposite to that. It's not resilient and it's not secure for the future. Um, and in fact, unsustainably produced soy or palm or other commodities um, are contributing to climate change through deforestation and, and land use change. That's helping to drive some of these extremes in weather that we've been seeing, and that in turn is going to impact on the harvest of those commodities. So it's a vicious circle, and that's a really kind of important long-term reason. And whilst there are challenges today in supply chains, and a lot of, of challenges that supply chains have to are having to deal with now, when we think about recovery and we think about longer term, now is the time to build in uh, the, the commitments and to build in the plans for sustainable commodities um, and, and we'll talk about maybe a little bit later there's obviously an important potential legal requirement coming down the line in the UK that will mean that companies will need to explore soy within their supply chains. Yeah and I think the point you make around the long term of all of this is so important um, particularly around the resilience of supply chains and all of that does link back into climate change and net zero um, and I know in our handbook, one of the big chapters for us is going to be around uh, ingredient sourcing, both from the UK and, and from overseas. Um, could you also tell us about um, the current um, main concerns that businesses and others have around the sourcing of soy um, and, sure. and a bit more around that embedded as well? Sure. Um, so... I guess top line, 80% of the world's soybeans are, grow, are grown in the USA, Brazil and Argentina, and that production has doubled um, over the past two decades. Unfortunately, some of that expansion of soy production um, hasn't been always done sustainably. In some cases, forests and, and, and other landscapes have been converted. And the UK contributes towards that. It's a small contribution, um, but an estimated area of about 1.2 million hectares is required to meet the UK's annual demand for soy. Um, just to be clear on that, there are other drivers to deforestation in these countries in South America, cattle production probably being the biggest. Um, and we need to be clear that soy can and is grown sustainably. Only a small proportion of soy um, is associated with the risk of deforestation. 
Um, so it's important to get that in context, but it's important um, to still to remember that it is a driver. Um, it's not to say that we're starting from a blank sheet here either, Emma. I mean, industry and governments have recognised this issue in relation to soy and, and are acting. Um, and many of your members are already acting on this. The threat to the Amazon was recognised, you know, way back in the 2000s. And um, at that time, uh, the groundbreaking Amazon soy moratorium was put in place that uh, that exists to this day, backed by major soy traders um, to protect the Amazon. But the rising demand for soy, probably driven by increasing um, demands for meat um, to do with you know, global diets, is keeping that pressure on. And 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 some of that pressure has has leaked or spread to other landscapes, such as the Cerrado in in Brazil, where other habitats, grasslands and savanna, are under under threat. Again, not just by soy, but soy is a component uh, factor. So. There is sufficient land to grow soy sustainably in the Zahado, but we need to think um, about the farmers in those countries and we need to give them the incentive to convert um, pasture land and not these important um, biodiverse, rich kind of native landscapes. Um, so that's a kind of bit of a kind of background, I guess, as to what the main concerns are. Traceability in a global commodity supply chain is, is difficult too, it's challenging. So it can be difficult for a company to easily understand the risks in their supply chain. And again, many of the leading companies have been spending the last two or three years really looking more deeply into where and how they can act. And that starts with, you know, where am I sourcing from? Um, I think what's really important is that companies need to support each other to, f to find collective solutions to all of this, um, because this is this is really, in a global commodity supply chain, this is not about acting alone. These supply chains just don't work in that way. We need solutions that are mass market and that are inclusive. Um, and when I say inclusive, of every part of that supply chain from the farmer in Brazil to the farmer in the UK through to the to the retailer. Um, so in producer countries and in our own country. So hopefully that's a that's a bit of a sort of a backdrop to to the kind of current concerns now. Yeah, and I think, like you say, collaboration is absolutely key when we're thinking about supply chains, especially international supply chains, which can become very complex as well, going down to that uh, farm level. Um, and how do you think businesses in the UK can incentivize good practice in producing countries, particularly where there might be no incentives or measures to prevent deforestation? Um, that's a really good question, and it is it is a really difficult area. I mean, interestingly, there are environmental safeguards in in place. Um, there's the Forest Code in Brazil, um, which was groundbreaking legislation when that was introduced. But but as we know, application, enforcement, implementation um, can be really challenging and is challenging. Um, and, and and also not all land conversion for soy um, is illegal. It's perfectly legal to convert land still um, in, in Brazil under these codes. So that's a kind of bit of a, a kind of real life kind of backdrop. Um, but what can what can companies do? Well, governments have have a role to play in this. Certainly, that that's for sure. And, and industry can't work on its own. But there are some really practical things that the companies can do, and many um, are doing. Um, so, you know, where do you start? You start by doing a kind of assessment of the volume of soy in your own supply chain. What what's your exposure? You know, where is soy? Um, and there are some really good online calculators that allow you to kind of roughly estimate the volume of soy 
based on the volume of meat or dairy or other products that you sell. You can make a commitment to sustainable soy and, and that really sends a sort of market signal to producers that you as a buyer or consumer of soy or, or potentially a collective group or maybe at a European level, the European market is willing to invest in sustainable soy. And we shouldn't underestimate the importance of that market signal um, because in those supply chains, they're looking for uh, real evidence that customers not only are committing to this, but are beginning to invest and want to invest in sustainable soy. And that ultimately does influence the behavior um, of farmers who are considering how and where they should grow soy. You can make a start, and many companies have made a start on the soy journey by buying book and claim certificates or credits in the way that people will, will be familiar with in the palm oil world. Um, and that allows companies to support a, you know, a, a producer very quickly without necessarily changing their supply chains, um, which is something that, that clearly you can't do overnight. Um, you can encourage your suppliers to source sustainable soy. Um, again, that's going to be easier for some suppliers than others, but there's plenty of help and advice um, available to do that. And then you can begin to think about how do you improve uh, greater levels of physical traceability within your supply chains and, and invest in other uh, models, whether it's mass balance or verified deforestation conversion free. There's lots of thoughts and discussions on that. I think importantly, this goes back to your point earlier about collaboration, um, Emma. I think the most important thing you can do is to is to join up uh, with others um, because the collective kind of voice is the most important thing here because that sends a very important collective voice back down the supply chains um, and gives people the 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 you know the the incentive and the assurance that this is what the markets want and the markets are, are willing to invest in there are lots of industry groups working together on these topics on soy um, including the uk you know round table on on sustainable soy which you know is a place where you can get involved in in these discussions um so i think we have got an opportunity in the supply chains to influence and incentivize even if um, where the soy is grown um, there are still options and choices that can be made to you know to produce soy unsustainably but why would why would those producers do that if there's a really strong market signal so the role of industry is, is really important but industry can't work on its on its own government have a role to play and that's an important part um, that they also need to step up to and diving a bit more into that business side of things. Um, in the latest annual progress report, um, Ethica estimated that 32% of soy imported into the UK in 2019 was covered by a deforestation and conversion-free certified soya standard. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means and what else you think needs to happen within industry and within businesses to see further growth? Um, yeah, very happy to. I mean, in terms of the kind of statistics, um, just to explain that kind of 32%, there are a range of certification schemes, as there are in many, many kind of commodity areas. Um, and there are schemes for sustainable soy in the market that set out standards for sustainable production of soy. Um, some, but not all, have criteria that specifically require no deforestation and conversion. So our annual progress report um, shows that UK companies are increasingly using these schemes that prohibit deforestation and conversion. They're buying certificates, as, as we talked about before. They're beginning to increasingly buy um, physical certificate certification, so mass balance. Um, and those are the purchases that are covered by 32% of UK imported um, soy. 
Um, it's quite a complicated world, but actually it's becoming a little clearer. And for companies that are wanting to choose those standards, um, more recently, the European Feed Association, FIFAC, um, have recently updated their soy sourcing guidelines and they've provided a benchmark facility in those guidelines that allow you to filter deforestation conversion free and identify those schemes that, that meet those requirements. So um, in our baseline report three years ago, when we started the UK soy initiative, around 15% of soy volumes were covered by a scheme or more than one scheme. So we've we made a lot of progress. The members have made a lot of progress, double that volume in a very short space of time. But but, but clearly there's there's work still to do. Just to be clear, that doesn't mean the remaining proportion of soy that comes from the UK is unsustainable. In actual fact, a further 15% was sourced under the terms of that Amazon soy moratorium I mentioned earlier, so deforestation free. Around 15% was from what we might perceive as lower risk countries, so North America and Canada. Um, so in total, around 62% of the UK's imported soy uh, last year was from sources um, at lower risk of deforestation conversion. So that's North America, Canada, all covered by one of those one of those schemes. So a lot of progress has been made by the collective membership um, in in the round table. What needs to happen now? That's a really good question. Lots of things need to happen. Um, I think we need more companies to make more commitments, but also to make good on those commitments, to put those time-bound plans and implementation plans in, into practice. Um, from traders right through to retailers, um, food service is really critical in this space as well. I think we need to explore ways in which we can act outside of our individual supply chains. So at a sector level, for example, commodities, as you know, really only work on a kind of scale. Um, so we've been exploring with the National Pig Association and the UK pig sector how we can develop a transition plan for the whole of the sector to move together um, at a pace that's realistic and affordable, noting the challenges in, in, in this sector at the moment, um, but extends just beyond leading companies. How do you get you know, thousands of pig farmers involved and, and independent pork producers. That's the kind of scale that we think we need to act at. And it means stepping outside of your individual supply chain and thinking about the broad, kind of broader supply chains. And we know other sectors, livestock sectors, are, are interested in that as well. I think we also need to think about ways in which we can make these um, choices in the supply chain as easy as possible. So how do you build sustainability into other standards that are routinely used? And that's something we've been discussing with the um, uh, trade body for um, for the feed manufacturers, AIC, and they're looking at how they can include responsible soy within, for example, feed assurance standards. So you're not having having to learn too much jargon, you can specify um, that you want your soy to be safe and legal, but also responsible. We take away some of the kind of complexity of that. Um, I think we need to, just two other points, I think we need to align with other markets as much as possible. Um, it's clear that, um, you know, for the pork sector, for example, 50% of pork um, that consumed in the UK comes from abroad. So, the pork sector need a level playing field. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of activity across Europe, um, in France, in Denmark, where a lot of uh, pork comes from, Germany and elsewhere. There's a growing movement of national initiatives. And I think it's really important we drive that alignment because if you've got an operation, um, if you're an Nestle and you operate in the UK and you operate in France and Germany, you don't want 10 different types of rules, 10 different ways of reporting. Um, you want some alignment across your operations. And that's why we spend quite a lot of time in the 
sustainable soil initiative doing those discussions um i do think we also although this is not an industry solution we also need government to to help and encourage and support um through for example their own procurement standards um and it's really pleasing to see they're going to be consulting early next year um, on a revision to the government buying standards um, for palm and soy government has a huge influence and can really help accelerate market uptake to, uh, as well um and, and we need finance to step up emma as well finance investments and loans in companies that are using trading in soy is a really important uh, influencer as well so we need the finance community as well to be adopting the same deforestation conversion free commitments um i'll stop there thank you it's great to hear um those numbers explained and understanding what everyone is doing on soy at the moment to make sure that they are sourcing it more sustainably um, and like you say thinking about sectors beyond food and drink and what role they have to play. Um, can you also give us some examples of how uh, businesses are held to account on these figures and the, the sourcing of soy? Sure yeah I mean I think soy um, is increasingly in the spotlight and, and I think we're seeing more and more civil society campaigns and scorecards focus not just on palm which has been under the spotlight for a few years but uh, but also on soy so I think companies are increasingly being asked to account um, for what they're reporting to the UK roundtable against their own commitments the media is beginning to pick up on these um, on these issues too which means they're, they're increasingly being being asked by customers, you know, what are you doing, and and, and shareholders as well. Um, I think companies will increasingly be held to, to account through their own net zero commitments, and and and, and you mentioned that as well earlier. Um, you know, ingredients and and emissions associated with ingredients. So I think I think inevitably these things will come together. Critically, we've got this pending legislative obligation that's uh, in the Environment Bill at the moment, which uh, when that comes into force, that will require at the moment large companies handing soy and other forest risk commodities to carry out due diligence so that's going to mean them understanding where the soy in their products direct or embedded is coming from um, and to provide evidence that it's been produced legally and i think we are expecting a consultation on the secondary legislation for that by the end of this year and that's mirrored um, by activity in the eu and we'll see the commission coming out with their own uh, proposal, uh, I think, by the end of this year for a broader legal and sustainable due diligence, uh, mandatory due diligence requirement across the whole of the European Union. Um, so I think there's lots of ways in which um, companies um, are increasingly being challenged on this, either through their own commitments, um, through net zero commitments or by, or by civil society or customers. And I think just on that finance point, I think we are beginning to see this picked up, albeit slowly, by the finance sector, um, who are beginning to look at the loans and investments they're making in, you know, in supply chain companies um, and asking the question, how secure are those loans? How secure are those investments? How secure are those pensions? Uh, will they pay out? Um, and I think we're going to see uh, a much greater level of uh, mandated disclosure uh, of finance, um, either under climate risk disclosures, through so things like the Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosures. Um, and in the near future, they, they will be looking at disclosure frameworks for nature. So there's something called the Task Force for Nature Related Financial Disclosures, which has just begun work now, which will be looking at frameworks for mandating disclosure, not just relating to climate, but nature more broadly. And that's going to bring in 
the same kind of issues around deforestation. Um, and when finance get interested, finance will be um, shareholders, finance will be asking companies, how secure are, is my finance? And again, I think companies will be increasingly held to account um, uh, uh, through that uh, route as well. We are definitely seeing uh, more queries come through from our members um, who have been approached by their customers and shareholders wanting to know what they're doing on soy and other commodities and other sourcing. So it's really interesting that you're seeing that as well. Um, and I was going to ask, do you have any sort of last thoughts or uh, reflections on uh, on what we've been discussing today? Um, yeah, just just a couple, I guess. I mean, it's a dreadful cliche, but there are definitely no silver bullets for, for these issues that we've been talking about today um, or, or overnight solutions. I think there's a kind of bigger picture. You know, we know we probably need to reduce our environmental impact by perhaps eating a little less meat. Uh, there are lots of really interesting initiatives looking at alternative sources of programs so, of, of protein. So there's a there's a kind of bigger conversation around our food systems, both on the production, you know, and the consumption side. But um, but soy can be grown sustainably. It has huge advantages um, as, a, as a source of protein. Um, it supports livelihoods, economic development. So there's every reason to stay engaged and 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 work together to make sure that that you know the soy that we use in animal field and elsewhere is is sustainably sourced. I think going back to that point of collaboration we need to listen to each other within the supply chain understand how each part of the supply chain works and build solutions that include everybody and again that sounds cliche but there's you know, there's going to be costs and rewards of this process and they've got to be shared equitably right across the supply chain whether you're a farmer in the Sahado or a farmer in the uk um, or a trader or a retailer or a food manufacturer you know we all need to recognize that there is a there are costs and rewards of this and we need to balance that across the supply chain um, all of these issues i think are becoming more interrelated so tackling deforestation you know, protects biodiversity, maintains livelihoods, it mitigates climate change. So they're all interrelated, they're all interdependent. So we need to definitely move out of the silos and think I'm doing deforestation today and climate change tomorrow. That the world is definitely more complicated than that. And we're increasingly seeing how these things come together. So I guess final thoughts, we'd advocate companies um, to get involved if you know to if you're curious about this um, many of your members are acting for those that are not necessarily seeing how they can get involved um, come along get engaged in the round table um, speak to yourself Emma there's lots of guidance available out there um, as well provided through through FDF and elsewhere add your weight add your ideas this is a really critical decade for action and it's time to roll up the sleeves and, and get involved in these um, discussions and it's time to shape those solutions as well there's no off-the-shelf kind of solution to this and it's got to work for the whole of the industry so, so now's the time to get involved i think that's a great point to finish on a real call to action for businesses who want to start this journey and also, again, making that point around that we can't think about this in silo, that this all links into wider sustainability debates that we're all having at the moment around climate change and biodiversity in particular. Many thanks for listening to the podcast. I hope you found it interesting and enjoyed learning more about sustainable soy. If you'd like more information on what the FDF is doing, please do visit our Sustainable Supply Chains webpage or um, explore our ambition 2025. Um, and we also have our sustainability resource hub, which includes details of a number of the standards that we've discussed today. 
Thanks, everyone. Thank you. The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sector.